hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Question for you. Would you pay $401 million for two pizzas? WTF, David? Of course I wouldn't, is your most likely response. But get this. The very first Bitcoin transaction was a purchase of two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoin. As of this recording, one Bitcoin is worth about $40,100, making those two pizzas worth over $401 million in today's dollars. By the way, this transaction only took place about 11 years ago. Now, that's what I call massive inflation. As many of you know, there is crazy interest in all things crypto and blockchain right now in the investing world. At the same time, there's a dearth of knowledge about these topics amongst many of the folks who are investing in them. We don't want you to be without some of the crypto 411 if you're thinking about getting in on the bet. So we've invited Joe DePasquale on the podcast. Joe is CEO of Bitbull Capital, which manages diversified, actively managed investment strategies in blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Joe founded Bitbull in 2017 because of his belief in active management in crypto investments. He's been an investor in 10 different crypto hedge funds as well as run his own active strategies since 2013. So, Joe knows. You're listening to episode 270 of the Career Money Podcast. Now let's find out what Joe knows about crypto. By the way, remember, if you have money questions or show topic ideas, add a comment in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we'll be sure to answer them in an upcoming episode. Now on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. Queer Money is being brought to you in part by the five building blocks of a happy gay life. Join the growing community of happy, healthy, and wealthy gay men who love their lives inside and out. Get your free copy of the five building blocks of a happy gay life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Queer Money. So as I kind of mentioned in the outset, there is a little bit of kind of curiosity, frenzy, pandemic level interest in all things blockchain right now, especially because of cryptocurrencies. And so that's why we have invited an, an expert or at least somebody who knows a heck of a lot more about it than we do on the podcast. So welcome to the Core Money Podcast, Joe De Pasquale. Thank you so much, David and John. I'm such a fan of the journey that you guys as debt-free guys have taken and of the Queer Money podcast. I'm a listener, and so I'm, I'm proud to be on. Thanks for inviting me. Thank awesome. you. Thank you for yeah. coming on. 
So we've recently had some guests from other places in the world. Uh, Brent and Michael, I think, were in... They were in uh, Puerto Vallarta headed to Istanbul. Yeah. And so I hear that you are also coming to us from somewhere outside the U.S. <laughs> Where yeah. are you at right now? <laughs> Absolutely. It's certainly not in the States, Puerto Rico. I'm in San, talking to you guys from San Juan, Puerto Rico, where I spend a bunch of time. And I was just in Miami a week ago for the Bitcoin Miami conference, which is one of the largest, if not the largest crypto conferences. It's been going for years, although not last year. So that was certainly an interesting experience. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that with the so much interest and kind of the craze with Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies, on top of the fact that there wasn't an in-person conference last year and everybody is ready to get together, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that must have been kind of crazy and fun. So do yeah. you relegate yourself to tropical environments because it keeps your skin <laughs> supple or is there that just coincidence? <laughs> well, actually, there is a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of activity of crypto, both in Puerto Rico and, of course, Miami as well uh, in this area. There's a lot of people in crypto moving here. It's very yeah. exciting to be here. And just for the Miami conference itself, there were about 5,000 people at that conference. Wow. Um, over 100 companies exhibiting really interesting companies and just uh, interesting to be in that that milieu, I guess. Uh, so, for example, um, two founders of one of the largest crypto exchanges, the Winklevoss brothers, they, they're the ones who, you know, were had that scuttlebutt with Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> of Facebook. Um, they have a place in Miami, so they hosted some events which was just like Paris. I, I met and got to take a photo with Paris Hilton at their home for one oh, event. Really? Uh, it was really cool. Uh, and um, my favorite kind of ex exhibit or exhibition from a company was in the parking lot of the event. They had a dumpster filled with Venezuelan boulevards and they were just throwing them up in the air and like kind of at the crowd. And they were the floor was littered with Venezuelan boulevards, which I think in the crypto community is a, just a metaphor for one of the things we say about fiat currency, fiat being nation state backed currency like the dollar where it's just um, inflationary, as we're seeing. And in crypto, that's you know, the stark contrast between that and something like Bitcoin, which is finite. I saw a meme about that, kind of the Bolivian Boulevard, is that what you yes. said? Right? It, it, it yeah, be, the Venezuelan. Mm -hmm. Or Venezuelan, sorry. Just lining the gutters of the street. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of shocking. And, and I think, you know, there's maybe a little bit of humor behind it, but you also have to feel for people who have worked their whole lives have saved up money that is now completely worthless and they can't mm -hmm. do anything with it, right? right? I mean, it's just, and and I th think that's, you know, maybe uh, may help us <laughs> in this discussion with what's the value in, in cryptocurrencies. But before we kind of dive into this, how did you get into this world of cryptocurrency? Yeah, well... So I moved, I am from Connecticut and lived in New York, you know, kind of growing up. And then I moved to Silicon Valley. I was, so I went to business school at Stanford and graduated and started a tech company and lived in San Francisco. So in 2013, when the founder of the Silk Road, that, you know, illegal marketplace that used cryptocurrencies for purchases was apprehended in the San Francisco public library by the FBI, that was big news there. Crypto crashed, Bitcoin crashed, and I just started getting interested. And at the time, you know, many people in my, I guess, social group uh, and kind of venture capital and things like that 
had blockchain and crypto as a thesis. And so I bought my first Bitcoin then. It was actually like a very odd transaction where you had to take a cashier's check and within an hour give it to the bank and then they would send you the Bitcoin. It was just a different experience at the time and quickly fell down the rabbit hole of cryptos and started investing more and more. And it wasn't until then 2016 founded, 2017 started investing as a, a crypto hedge fund. And that's that's what I do now is run a run a hedge fund. So people are getting arrested by the FBI, markets are tanking in blockchain, and you're like, hey, I want to check that out. <laughs> Let's do this. Right? Do you pick up messes at the bar as well? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, actually, to that point, when the Venezuelan Bolivar was being thrown on the ground, I did, I was, I was picking them up. I was like, I can't, I can't, I cannot step over a penny without picking it up. But uh, that's worth, unfortunately, less than a penny. But, um, <laughs> but um, crypto, you know, it has a very, very strong. I think one of the interesting things, I also spend a lot of time in the Bay Area, and one of the interesting things about it is that you see a lot of talent, technical talent, going to work for blockchain and crypto companies. And there are a lot of innovations in and around finance. One of the major contraction points for crypto is decentralized finance. And so I guess um, I believe in it. I believe in it deeply and technically as well. And so, and so that's what started the interest. And it's easy to go down the rabbit hole once you start investing in it. Right. So just to be clear, this is not an interest of yours because you are hopping on the bandwagon of get rich, the modern day tulip bulb craze kind of thing going on here. You have a much deeper interest in this more than let's go take a thousand dollars and turn it into 10 million. Right. I do. I think that, well, uh, Bitcoin itself has kind of libertarian roots. I actually don't identify myself as a libertarian, but I think I do believe in the case for a more scientific or algorithmic or something that's not just led by the Fed, where the Fed can decide, okay, as they did last year, we're printing 60% more dollars than ever were in existence before. So you may know that at the beginning of 2020, we had $4 trillion that existed. And then by the end, we had $7 trillion in the system that existed. So I, I do believe in something that's, to me, more logical, and also controlled by people or by yourself, rather than whether I can do a transfer or not being controlled by the government. Right. So kind of bringing that control idea into it. I think that last week on Queer Money, we talked with Kai Graydon about what blockchain is and its many uses. And we touched on cryptocurrency just very briefly. So I'm kind of curious, how do you differentiate? Because so many people, if they didn't listen to last week's episode, and I think so many people out in the general public, just kind of use crypto and blockchain kind of interchangeably because they don't know how to differentiate them kind of it's almost like crypto blockchain is the kleenex right kleenex is the but kind of becomes the the euphoric name for not euphoric but the all-inclusive name for something so how do you differentiate the two yeah so they are different so i, I definitely think it's important for people to understand the difference. Blockchain is a technology. A blockchain is just a database, or we usually say it's a ledger. It's an immutable database, cryptographically secured and many things. But cryptocurrencies all use a blockchain. There's exceptions to every rule, but cryptocurrencies all, all, all use the blockchain as their database or ledger. But the blockchain is just a technology that can be used for anything that does not need to be a 
a currency or a cryptocurrency. For example, IBM, they're looking into uses for the blockchain and supply chain management or other, you know, uh, even banks have been looking into the blockchain to use it as a ledger without cryptocurrencies being involved. So yes, there absolutely are these cryptocurrencies that use the blockchain, but the blockchain is a technology that can be used for anything that needs a database, which is almost everything. <laughs> right. Yeah. When we were doing research for this three-part series, one of the things that we kind of came across was this idea of blockchain being used for keeping track of legal documents and ownership rights. And I think that one of the ones that was often used was um, title deeds for land, right? So mm-hmm. kind of being able to keep a ledger as to who owns what piece of land or what piece of property, well, that's Mm -hmm. not necessarily a currency. All it is is a record. And so the blockchain keeps that record, as you said, in a ledger. But I think maybe if you've been a longtime listener of the podcast, you remember back a while back, we had Jacob Goldstein um, of Planet Money the Planet Mm -hmm. Money podcast on and He mentioned in his book, this idea that most money today is no longer tangible. It's most money today is digital. So how would you say cryptocurrency is any different than money that we have today? So Mm -hmm. money that goes back and forth between Chase and Capital One and Bank of America and my local credit union. These are ones and zeros flying back and forth between all of these when transactions happen. How is cryptocurrency different than that? Sure. I love that question because it's very different. And I guess a couple of things I would say is that in the industry, sometimes people will say crypto assets instead of cryptocurrencies. And so let's say, you know, First of all, you know, obviously the dollar is different than the yuan, let's say, is different than the bolivar. So even within currencies, differences, but then is different than gold, right, which would be an asset or a commodity and other things that you can own. Real estate, you mentioned real estate, which, by the way, there are a number of really interesting, you know, as you mentioned, blockchain applied to real estate uh, companies getting started. The first thing I would mention is that because it is usually set by the initial um foundation and white paper of the currency or asset, the amount is finite often. So for example, in Bitcoin, there are many different cryptocurrencies. Let's talk about Bitcoin. It's the easiest and most understood and the you know 100 pound gorilla in the room because it has more than 50% of the market share of all cryptos. So for Bitcoin itself, there will only ever be 21 million in existence. I mentioned that last year the number of dollars in existence went from four trillion to seven trillion one year, a sixty percent increase based on just the kind of unilateral decision by the Fed. So that's a major difference. And then the other major difference, and this has been accredited with kind of many of the run-ups, like we saw in twenty seventeen, a fourteen hundred percent increase in the price of Bitcoin. And many people credited Chinese nationals with wanting to move their money from the yuan to other places, which they were not allowed to by their nation. And so Bitcoin was one major way that they did that. And we're seeing that, by the way, in other nations as well. People in Russia, you mentioned Turkey earlier, definitely Turkey. You know, there's a lot of interesting use cases. We saw El Salvador, by the way, last week announced that Bitcoin would now be legal tender in El Salvador So there's a lot of actually traction of Bitcoin as a finite currency and something that you can decide. You can decide whether you want to transfer it. You don't have to go through a centralized authority such as a bank 
uh, or any sort of clearinghouse to be able to transfer value. So it's uh, much more in your own hands. That's very interesting. One of the things that, that caught my attention was the cap that you said are on the number of Bitcoins that will ever be made available in mm -hmm. existence. Yes. One of the, the concepts about money that we've talked about on the Queer Money Podcast is the concept that we hear a lot of people talking about eat the rich, almost in a way that you know if, if they have more, that must mean that I have less because there's only so much to go around. And the concept of money is that not necessarily that way, at least our current concept of money. With this cap on the number of Bitcoin that, that's out there, doesn't that kind of flip that on its head? Hmm. Interesting. You know, here's some ways that it flips it on its head to me. One way is just the run-up that, that we've seen. Um, if you look at the ledger, there's about uh, over 6,000 different Bitcoin millionaires out there. You can look at the actual database or the ledger of, you know, who, what wallets have what Bitcoin is out there. And so we have seen a lot of millionaires created with, with Bitcoin. But it is finite, so you may still see this division within crypto. So I don't know that it fully solves it, unfortunately. Unfortunately, it still has that shortcoming, I sure. believe. And that may be a great segue to the next question. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Well, you know, you you, t you talk about the run up in Bitcoin and, and the finite number of it. And I think back to that original transaction that we mentioned in the outset of the person exchanged 10,000 Bitcoin for two pizzas. I don't know whether or not that person hung on to any of those, but I, I bet you they probably are hoping that they are wishing that they had hung on to a few more of them because of this massive increase. But you did talk about that there's a lot of different cryptocurrencies out there. Mm -hmm. So I guess that begs the question then, why do we need so many? Is there, right. is there a benefit? Because I, I see, I think about all of the countries around the world that have decided in some way to forego using their own fiat currency, their own national currency in exchange for using the US dollar. Or they mm -hmm. maybe use both, but there seems to be a more stability in using the US dollar. So is introducing these upwards of 6,000, we heard recently 6,700 cryptocurrencies, is introducing so many cryptocurrencies going to create this kind of confusion? Or I'll let you, you answer the question. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So there are thousands of cryptocurrencies or, or crypto assets, and because some of them aren't even really you know, intended to be a currency. If you think about the second place one, and, and by the way, one resource I love to look at is coinmarketcap.com. It shows you the different, tracks thousands of cryptos and, you know, what and much data about them. So the second place one is Ethereum. Ethereum is the platform on which a lot of other technologies are built. So unlike Bitcoin, it has something called a smart contract ability which is a way to take out the escrow in a deal. So if you're, I mentioned many of these things are, many of the traction of crypto now is in the decentralized finance marketplace. So people are doing things like settling derivatives through Ethereum or synthetic options through Ethereum, even in the traditional finance world using the Ethereum kind of blockchain to do things like that. And so what I'm trying to say is that 
the different cryptos actually do have different technologies and different categories of things that they're trying to do. We're seeing definitely payments cryptos or you know currency cryptos like Bitcoin or Litecoin. We're seeing smart contract attempts like Ethereum or Tezos or Cardano. Tezos is actually also trying to pioneer a better governance model for crypto. So how do you these are all new technologies, and that's why we see thousands of them, just as we see hundreds of thousands of startups, uh, you know, in the U.S. and beyond. So Tezos is trying to say, how do we make sure our chain is, you know, kind of always up to being the most up to date? But then we see other things using the blockchain for almost um, distributed computing, like like Amazon Web Services. So there's Filecoin there, or Definity. Uh, there are different things that cryptos are trying to do. It's like startup. It's like you know, I run a crypto hedge fund, but it, to me, I, I liken it to being almost like liquid venture capital, because in venture capital, you're looking for these startups and these equities that maybe, you know, you're waiting for this exit. But with cryptos, it's kind of trying to choose early something that might actually be a newer technology and appreciate quickly because of its traction, given its tech forwardness. It sounds to me like you're saying that there may be unique uses for each of these quote-unquote cryptocurrencies or crypto assets. Forgive me if this is a bad example and correct me if I'm wrong. We talk about the old barter system, right? I'm a shepherd and I have sheep, but I want apples and you grow apples. And so I've got to figure out how to trade my sheep for your apples, but you don't want a sheep. But I also grow wheat. So I have sheep and wheat and you want wheat and you have apples. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll, well let's trade some wheat and apples. So are you basically yes. saying that, that somebody may have multiple currencies that they could use in various situations? I actually think of them as different categories of technologies. So there is a currency category where I think it's likely that we'll, over the next several years, we'll see a category leader, just as it took maybe several years for, let's say, Google to emerge as a leader in search technology, or it could, of course, be the first mover advantage of Bitcoin. No one knows. And that's one of the reasons for its volatility. But then if we're looking at smart contract change, which Bitcoin does not have that ability, then you know Ethereum is the leader there. And if we're looking at chains actually focus on decentralized finance, there's synthetics, there's AVE, there's others, or then there are other categories. There's prediction markets, there's category for strictly confidential transactions, there's the categories I mentioned for distributed computing, like Filecoin, and there's even, by the way, stable coins that are collateralized by things like the dollar or gold or other things that are trying to take out some of the volatility as well, still have some of the crypto underpinning, but are a little bit of like a, a middle ground, like I guess hybrid. you could say. Yeah, yeah. that's a hybrid. Yeah. So if you're if you're going to use an emoji for the expression on my face right now, it's the emoji where the top half of the head is yes. blowing off, right? Because <laughs> there's just so much, I think that, and this always happens when something new is created, right? It, there's yes. a lot of people who have ideas that want to get in and, and they want to use it or create something around it and... Some are successful and some are not. And we just got to wait until that kind of simmers down, right? Right. Yes. And I think, you know, just taking it from a 10,000 foot perspective and saying, you know, we're here on the Queer Money podcast and what does cryptocurrencies mean to me as an investor? I think what it is, it's a new technology. It's maybe for someone who is, you know, a small, small percentage of your portfolio. A lot of people I know put 1% of their liquid assets into it. Or the most risk-loving people I know maybe put 10%, let's say. And it's for someone who can accept a, a loss 
you know, or win in that category. But it's as we've seen, we've had very negative years and also very positive years. So it's very volatile. But to me, it represents as my portfolio or represents something that has historically been largely uncorrelated with both equities and other assets like gold. So it provides, you know, kind of portfolio theory, some good diversification. I think it is an edge case technology. It's something where I feel like by buying it, I buy something that's immediately worldwide and international, unlike a lot of the equities I buy, which are, you know, kind of focused on the US, for example. And so I think, you know, it's potentially a part of a portfolio for someone who maybe also does like angel investing or venture investing or just alternative asset investing or is accepting of some risk as a small percentage of their portfolio. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned this idea of um, decentralization, and it, we touched yes. on it last week with Kai as well, about this idea of eliminating banks or credit card companies, transaction processors. And <laughs> I think for a lot of folks, they would love to see some of the banks take it on the nose, right? Get them out of the transaction because they feel like they've been burned too many times by some of these mm-hmm. these companies, whether for good reasons or bad. But do you th- really think that that's going to happen? And if so, what kind of when? I mean, is, it, is this a mm-hmm. short timeline? Is a long timeline? I really don't. From a personal standpoint, I, I can't see big banks just disappearing in the next five years. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I agree with you. It's not going to happen in the next five years. But I can tell you that the largest venture capital companies, Andreessen Horowitz, for example, just started a blockchain fund. And many, the blockchain's first applications are this area of finance, uh, really. And so I do believe in the disintermediation of banks and credit card companies. One of the major issues with Bitcoin is it doesn't yet have the processing speed, the transaction, the you know, transaction throughput that it would need. But one of the analogies I like is that in terms of the global disruption of traditional industries is that We've seen, you know, companies like Uber, which is now the world's largest taxi company, but has no cars or Facebook, the most popular media owner, which creates no content, Airbnb, right? A largest accommodation provider owns no real estate. And now we're seeing Bitcoin, which is the fastest growing bank in the world by user adoption and has no branches, no employees. So I do really believe in the technological disruption of banks and also credit card companies. How likely are you? to think that the Fed is going to stay out of it because Janet Yellen's already talking about <laughs> getting her right. her hands on yes. it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So I think it's been interesting. One of the things I would say is that in the crypto, you know, those who are in the industry, we, we want as much guidance and regulation and all of that is not, I, mean, I don't know, like about unreasonable regulation, but we just want the guardrails. Uh, we don't want things have happened in the past where people have done these ICOs or crypto launches and they've then retroactively said, oh, that looked like a security to me. And so people just want to know, you know, this is something that exists. So just tell us what to do. So mm-hmm. I actually look at additional guidance from Janet Yellen or the SEC as positive. And I wish there were more of it, but it has been, it feels to me like, it, I mean, maybe I'm just too deep into it. Like it's been slow, you know, been slow coming. And so what people are in the industry doing is doing everything as conservatively as possible. For a hedge fund, for example, we give people annual tax statements and it's just really the most conservative as possible tax treatment of everything. For other investments, we only invest in things that are actually done as a security, for example, so that it's the most conservative. So I think... Mm-hmm. 
right now people are being ultra conservative in the professional investing industry in crypto and um, even the exchanges like Coinbase, which is of course now a public company, they are also listing crypto assets uh, carefully, only new assets when they're kind of, they feel like they're fully vetted. Yeah, then that makes a lot of sense. Pro- professional services tends to be a little bit slow on the uptake. They're still having us fax things. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yes. Yes. I, can, I can imagine it's going to take have, a minute for them to hop onto crypto. Yeah, having both been in financial <laughs> services, we we understand this the slow roll. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know this idea of of getting rid of the middlemen or removing some of the middlemen. It almost feels like you know this democratization of money to a certain degree. Do you think that that may happen even with things like lending, which could have a lending a little bit more competitive or make it a little bit more participatory? So I don't have to go to a credit card company if I want to purchase something that I don't have money for or to a bank, I might be able to do peer-to-peer lending and get a much better rate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There are lending is one of the hottest areas in cryptocurrencies these days, mostly because people are lending against your crypto. Um, so for these smart transactions that like you can get a high percentage point, uh, for example, on Gemini, the Winklevoss founded exchange, if you keep a, a crypto representation of cash on there, you'll get a 7% per year um, interest rate just for keeping cash on there. So, and also peer-to-peer lending is hot. There are many crypto startups trying to pioneer that. And it's definitely a space that I believe will be disintermediated and will hopefully even positively impact the interest rates as well. So yes, it's absolutely an area I believe in. So one of the reasons why we originally started looking at cryptocurrency or thinking about cryptocurrency was because we were talking with Sean Howell. Uh, For folks who don't know Sean, Sean is one of the founders of the Hornet and has been really involved in a lot of behind the scenes technology that queer people use today and has kind of spearheaded a lot of efforts around um, helping people in the LGBT space, the queer space, when it comes to understanding technology. And Sean kind of introduced to us the idea of an LGBT cryptocurrency. What are your thoughts on that? So interesting what they're doing with the LGBT token and just kind of trying to pioneer more things in the blockchain for good. It's a similar to how you have a credit card that might, you know, where you might give a portion of the uh, of the rewards to let's say like breast cancer or any sort of affinity group i do believe that there is a case for these affinity groups within crypto right now it's early days for crypto so we're still trying to push the adoption of cryptos forward so you'll see actually mentioning credit cards you'll see crypto uh, credit cards as well that allow you to pay with the credit card for the crypto that you have in your wallet and pay any merchant even if they only accept you know general credit cards but to answer your question, I think it is uh, one good for the LGBT community because it is a foundation that goes to supporting our our community. Uh, if the LGBT token is used, you know there is a case for these community backed financial underpinnings because we all you know are part of different communities and want to give back to those communities. And I think that there will certainly be ways to do that within crypto. Awesome. Thank you. If for any of our listeners who want to learn more about Sean and how he got into his particular space in technology, uh, we interviewed him for episode 92 of the Queer Money Podcast. 
So we asked in our Queer Money Facebook group, and there's uh, roughly 1,800 members in the group, and um, it seemed like a rather large percentage of folks in the group were really hesitant to invest or to to use an LGBT cryptocurrency. And I think that's because there's just a lot of unknowns and a lot of fears related to it. And the simple fact that it's really kind of not very easily used right now. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of transactions aren't necessarily taking place with it. But let's talk about that with even other aspects of cryptocurrencies, the larger cryptocurrencies. Do you foresee any issues or problems on the near-term or long-term horizon with cryptocurrencies? Things that maybe we should be aware of, whether we're thinking about acquiring some for use or acquiring some for investing. Uh, Well, you know, there's been so many interesting things and so much um, recently, uh, you might have seen the news with Elon Musk of Tesla. First, by the way, buying, you know, following other corporate treasuries like MicroStrategy and buying Bitcoin as a part of their, you know, corporate treasury. And then, you know, supporting Bitcoin with saying that Tesla would, you know, accept Bitcoin payments as well. And then kind of saying that, well, no, Bitcoin's too energy consumptive, but now saying he's going to consider it uh, again. So it's certainly volatile. And so one of the risks is the energy consumptiveness of Bitcoin, which you know I'm happy to talk a little further about. Interestingly, although it's energy consumptive, it's not as polluting as maybe, you know, that's to me the wrong KPI. The, the KPI that should be used is how much renewables is used and is it actually, you know, polluting the environment uh, like, you know, for example, meat production or methane does or not. It, the answer is it's not as much as, you know, many other industries. Then also, you mentioned the Fed with Janet Yellen. Luckily, we have an SEC chairman now, Gary Gensler, who is very pro-crypto, and he's he's saying that he's going to put more investor protections around crypto, but he's taught about blockchain and crypto at MIT before, very kind of knowledgeable of the market. So I think the second point there is just, um, you know, any sort of regulation from the U.S. and potentially, you know, recognition that Bitcoin may, you know, the intention of Bitcoin, I mentioned its libertarian roots, is to allow people control over their money and to really disrupt nation state back <laughs> currencies. So in 10, 20 years, maybe it is a threat to the dollar as we see El Salvador, you know, and other countries, maybe who knows if Venezuela or Turkey or other countries might adopt a crypto as a payment solution. The technology does still need to be improved in terms of the transaction speed. And this Already, you know, some of the other cryptocurrencies have fixed this, but right now Bitcoin itself couldn't really compete with a a credit card because it doesn't have the transaction speeds, but other cryptos already launched can. And so we'll see what happens with that. If anyone's paying attention or if you know of anybody who has influence, I have a solution for the energy consumptiveness of creating Bitcoin. (laughs) I would love to hear it. (laughs) But I don't know if it solves the energy problem, but it solves like the adverse effects on the earth. That is, we need to have the data mining companies out in the orbit around the earth. And Ah. they can just, you know, stream it down. (laughs) Sure. Yes, exactly. Well, that's one of the arguments for, by the way, Bitcoin is a store of value unlike gold because it is much more portable than gold, for example, much digital and portable. So, and by the way, speaking of outside the U.S., uh, Elon Musk and the Winklevosses has already talked about how we don't even know how much gold is in the universe, let alone the world. So, and talked about even like the prospect of mining gold 
you know, yeah. Bitcoin, we know how much there is. Gold, we don't. The value could go south <laughs> as yeah. soon as we find the right, right, planet. right rock or planet. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> rock, exactly. It's probably an asteroid. <laughs> Sorry, I took us off the rails here. David, bring us yeah. back. It's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so your, your specialty is investing, investing in cryptos or at least uh, hedging in cryptos. So let's talk a little bit about that. When or why would we want to think about investing in a cryptocurrency? Sure. Yes. And I should mention, of course, that hedge funds are, of course, very specialized or, you know, these are products for accredited investors similar to investing in a venture capital fund or something like that. And so if you want to invest in crypto, there are many simple ways to do it. Again, it should be a small percentage of your liquid investable assets only invest what you are comfortable seeing a lot of volatility with, including down. Uh, we saw recently, uh, although Bitcoin's you know up for the year, uh, we saw recently that it fell from its high of 63 to now about 40k, and so um, started the year at 29k. So, what are some ways to invest in crypto? So, first of all, you can buy a single asset like uh, Bitcoin or any one of these other assets. It's common to sign up on. An exchange like Coinbase is another exchange that's uh, the most popular in the U.S. Binance is the exchange that, if you're outside of the U.S., is the most popular in the world. So, you know, you can just choose to buy even just Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is the 100-pound gorilla in the room, and its returns have been strong. It was up 300% last year, So, but 2018 it was down about 60-something percent. So there are other ways to invest as well. You can try to get into other coins early, of course. If you only have, like a, let's say you keep your money on a broker like Schwab. Schwab, unlike Robinhood, Schwab does not allow for buying cryptos directly, but you can buy an equity representation of cryptos in an investment trust and invest in a company like Grayscale or GBTC, which is a Bitcoin equity representation of Bitcoin, or Ethereum, which is ETHE is the ticker, or you can do something like Bitwise, which is a top 10 index of cryptos. Or if you really like blockchain and not crypto, you can do an equity investment. You can look at, um, there are, you know, both funds like the ARK funds that invest heavily in, in crypto assets, or you can do mining companies. You can do, there are ETFs for, com that don't include crypto, but are, include companies in and around the space of blockchain or crypto, or you can do angel investing in blockchain companies as well. So, there's a lot of different ways to invest in crypto that are not hedge funds that are just maybe a buy and hold strategy, but are are valid. I again, I have the, I have the head blowing off the top, <laughs> my top of my head blowing off when it comes to this conversation, because there are so many options, right? There's so many yeah. things out there, which really does highlight the need to do your research. Don't yes. invest on a whim, don't invest on the word of a friend or a peer, yes. do your research. Listen to what someone else may say, but also do the research, see if it's right for you. Joe, you just mentioned that Bitcoin had a high earlier this year of around 63,000, and now it's trading yes. today around 40,000. So yes. that's roughly a 33% drop. This is a really big concern I think a lot of people have. And to be honest, I think it might be the reason why so many people in the in the Queer Money Facebook group said that they're not interested in cryptocurrencies is because of the volatility. Is there a way to help reduce this volatility if I do decide I want to invest in a cryptocurrency? 
Hmm. Or are we well, SOL? <laughs> yes and no. So I think that there are only edge case ways to invest in cryptos with re- reducing the volatility. And my profession has also been not only running a hedge fund, but also running a fund of funds whose job it is to do diligence on literally hundreds of hedge funds. And then I've invested personally myself in over 10 hedge funds. <laughs> so what I'm saying is all of these funds, they really try to like do exactly what you're saying. Like their whole promise is to cut down the volatility. And I have to say, that's a tough call, even for the most professional of investors. I would, I instead, I would flip the script a bit and say, look, just in, this is not something that you need to invest even like any significant portion of your portfolio in, but it is something that has had a history of a lot of gains. Even this year, it's um, over 30%, 36% up this year, last year, 300%, 2019, 92%, but yes, 2018 down about 70%. So I would say, and that's for Bitcoin. So I would say, invest a small amount, take the advice of, you know, a Warren Buffett, right? Average in, Warren Buffett famously has called himself not a technology investor, but for other things, you would average in over time, only do a small portion. And this is only if you like alternative investments. So these, these, you know, kind of riskier sorts of investments. And if you do, you know, to make it simple, you would either create an account on a crypto exchange like Coinbase or Gemini, or you would use a, a broker like Robinhood that allows crypto, or you would use, if your broker doesn't allow crypto, you do the equity representation of it, like Grayscale's GBTC. That's right. to keep it simple. Yeah, and we've talked about, folks, we've talked about this a little bit before on the podcast when we talked about investing, this whole idea, diversifying your assets, right? So if you're going to invest in something, don't put all of your money in one thing, break it out into a lot of different areas. So We've talked about a number of different crypto assets here. You may want to spread your money out over those. Consider your asset allocation, as Joe has said. Most folks are, if they're going into this, it's no more than 1%. If you're somewhat risk averse, maybe up to 10% if you're willing to kind of go balls to the walls, I guess, (laughs) to a certain degree. Keep that in mind. Your asset allocation, your own risk, keep that in mind. With because of the volatility, you have to be willing to. It's exciting to see the gains, but you have to also be willing to deal with the fact that you may see what you've invested tank pretty quickly, too. I think you just need to think back a couple months ago to how everybody was reacting to GameStop, right? When that was going up, everybody was excited, but then all of a sudden there were a lot of tears. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yes, exactly. So the, maybe in part because of this volatility, it seems like there are some really smart people in financial services maybe some of the older people in financial services that are completely dismissing crypto. Do you think that's a mistake? Well, it's been really interesting to see a lot of them kind of eat their hat in the past few years. So I do. I'm very bullish on crypto over the long term. I think some of the mistakes I see you know, investors making is getting emotionally wrapped up in it and not just having steady hands. And so people end up selling low and buying high and that sort of thing instead of the opposite. And uh, we've seen, you know, Jamie Dimon, the head of JP Morgan, uh, do a 180 from saying it was bad to now, you know, believing it and providing an on-ramp for their private wealth management clients to it. We've seen banks like Goldman and Morgan now say that it is becoming an asset class itself. So yes, I think it's good news for investors that a lot of the largest institutions have not yet 
invested in it because at that point a lot of the potential appreciation for this finite asset will go away. Yeah, I, I very, very much disagree with uh, people who are skeptical of the industry. I think Jamie Dimon did a 180 because his team figured out a way to make money off of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and suddenly he's a fan. <laughs> well, yeah. it, and like we've been talking about, decentralization, getting rid of a lot of these middlemen. Well, if, if the jobs that they're doing today are going to go away, they've got to figure out how to make money on the jobs of tomorrow. And if the jobs of tomorrow are in cryptocurrencies and in blockchain, they've got to go that in that direction as well right so. yes mm -hmm. so yes. folks i hope i hope we this is a heavy conversation yeah <laughs> I, I i hope we've scratched a little bit of an itch for you when it comes to cryptocurrencies and what they are and whether or not you should or should not be involved and what are the benefits and and uh some of the potential drawbacks to uh to cryptocurrencies and blockchain so we will continue to talk about this more on the Queer Money Podcast. But uh, Joe, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Where can our listeners find out a little bit more about you, about the work you're doing right now, and what you've done in the past that kind of prepared you for all this? Oh, sure. Well, thanks so much, David and John, for having me on. I'm, I'm loving listening to the Queer Money Podcast. Uh, in terms of me, I think crypto, um, you know, my hedge fund, Bitbull Capital, like with a B, like Bitcoin and bull markets. So BitbullCapital.com has a, a email list that people can subscribe to. And we do come out with crypto research, you know, every couple weeks, what we're seeing in the market. So that would be something I think interesting to follow. And of course, you know, uh, we also have a Twitter page, a, a, a LinkedIn and a Facebook, and people are welcome to follow me as well on LinkedIn at Joe DePasquale. And I, I absolutely love connecting with people. So would look forward to look forward to that. Awesome. Thank awesome. you very much, Joe. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We appreciate it. Thanks, David. Thanks, John. Have a great day. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Join our movement to build a community of happier, healthier, and wealthier gay men by getting your free copy of The Five Building Blocks of a Happy Gay Life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy. Thanks again, Joe, for your help in explaining to us newbies more about cryptocurrencies, or should I say crypto assets. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode. Here's your queer money takeaway for this week. If you're curious about cryptos, sign up for the Bitbull newsletter to stay informed. If you're thinking about investing in cryptocurrencies, diversify. And remember to keep your investment in them a very small percentage of your overall investment portfolio. Thanks again for listening. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.